Welcome to Love's Everyday Radius, a podcast brought to you by the Hoffman Institute. My name is Drew Horning, and on this podcast, we catch up with graduates for conversations around how their internal work in the process is informing their life outside the process, how their spirit and how their love is living in the world around them, their everyday radius. Hey everybody, my name is Drew Horning and we are here uh, speaking with Jason Beagle. Jason, would you introduce yourself? Yeah, hello everybody. My name is Jason Beagle. I'm a graduate of the Hoffman Process. I attended the process in January of 2017. I currently live in Hawaii, just relocated here as a graduate student at the University of Hawaii. I'm pursuing my degree in Master's in Religion. Jason, how is uh, sheltering in place there in Hawaii going? Well, Drew, we're kind of in the middle of the jungle, so it doesn't feel too different here. Um, but uh, it is definitely a different energy in the community. Everybody has masks on, and it's a different vibe for sure. But it's it's yeah. not it's a good place to be. I um, earlier I was hearing some birds, and you know, I was listening to um, the Daily, the podcast from the New York Times, and they uh, the interviewer asked the guy, wait, are those birds chirping? And he goes, hang on, let me close the window. I'll de-chirpify the interview. And part I want to say here is like, don't close that window. Don't de-chirpify this interview. If the birds sing, let them sing, right? Absolutely. We'll welcome them in. <laughs> and is, uh, is Perry there? No, I sent him on an errand. So we have about an hour to ourselves. <laughs> oh, okay. Great. Great. You got a little alone time. Yeah. So um, tell me a little bit about um, why you did the process. It's a good question, Drew. Um, I was introduced to the process from my old CEO as a um, professional development tool. So I had no idea what I was getting into, um, but they sent me as part of the management team to do the process. And uh, it was an eye-opening experience that changed my life forever. Wait, you had no idea what you were getting into? None. I asked for a raise, and he asked me if I'd like to go to a retreat. And I said, <laughs> yeah. Little <laughs> oh did I know. <laughs> when did you realize that, holy cow, this is this is bigger than what I thought it was? Um, about three weeks before I did the process, I actually started to do my homework. Uh, and that's when it all kind of started to unfold. I see. That's generally when people start to wake up that, wait a minute, these are deep provocative <laughs> yeah. This homework is a big deal. Yeah, I thought I was going to have massages and spa treatments, and <laughs> little did I know. Oh, that's good. So what? Um, what's a moment in time from your process that stands out for you that you – I guess I'm wondering, do you think back to a certain time in your process that you remember? I do. Um, the cathartic work just collectively was very powerful for me, Drew. Um, I grew up in a very rural, conservative part of Pennsylvania. Um, and as a man, there was a lot of gender um, expectations there. So expressing emotion, talking about feelings... Um, I had, hadn't done really well for 40 years almost. Um, so the cathartic work was really a big release um, and making some space in my heart um, that I, I didn't have room for before. So the, the guy code, where did you grow up? 
I grew up in a little town called Bedford, Pennsylvania, on a dairy farm. You're kidding. What's it like to grow up on a dairy farm? <laughs> Dirty. <laughs> no, um, it's a lot Lots of fun. Of mud. Yeah, a lot of fun, a lot of... I'm a nature guy, so growing up with animals all around me was probably... You know, couldn't have been more perfect. Um, a lot of hard work, um, you know, a lot of roles to fill. I bet you were busy. Oh, yeah. And the tired work, at night. Yeah, the work ethic has kind of followed me, though, so that's a good thing. It's one good thing. That is, that is a good thing I know as a dad for, of two kids. That's that's kind of, that would probably be in the top two things of, of giving my kids a sense of work ethic. So, um, God, I'm thinking about the next question to ask you, and I'm I'm thinking about you and and Perry, a beautiful, wonderful couple that I've gotten to know. That I love you both so much. And we love you, Drew. <laughs> what? Uh, what? Tell. Can you talk a little bit about your emerging sexuality and what? that was like to discover and learn about and claim and fight against a journey. Yeah. And it was a journey. It has been a journey. I should say, um, I still think I'm growing in that area in ways. Uh, but again, referring back to where I grew up and the environment that I grew up in, um, my sexuality wasn't really an option. Um, and even as I got older and migrated away from that community, I still had that core belief system that there was a, a brokenness about me. Um, and it wasn't until I did the process that I actually was able to look at myself with love and acceptance around that. Um, and that, that was just the beginning of that process in itself. And I was in my mm-hmm. relationship with Perry when I did the process and we were engaged, but there was a ton of baggage or, or wounds that needed to be looked at or unpacked um, before stepping into our marriage. So the process was kind of what, what catapulted that. I often wonder about, you know, marriages and really intimate partnership is challenging enough as it is, but to to have the added stress of the homophobia and the, the pressure in a world that doesn't always embrace um you know, gay marriage, that's that can be challenging. Is there additional stress you and Perry notice? You know, fortunately we live in we lived in California. We now live in Hawaii. Both are states that um, embrace that. Now, when I travel back to Pennsylvania, there is a, a definite, definite shift. Um, there's, a, there's a slight concern, um, especially being a biracial gay couple on top of it. Um, there, there are certain cultural aspects that we have to face there that we don't deal with here. What, is there an example of, of oppression you've experienced? I'm thinking about from from the white patriarchy. I don't know why that's coming in, but an example of what you've had to face in navigating that as a, a gay biracial couple. Yeah, it's interesting. I, it's a good question. I took Perry home to meet my family for the first time before we got married. Um, and I was highly anxious, obviously. Um, and surprisingly, my family, my, my immediate family, my stepmother and siblings were very supportive and abrasive. Um, we went out to eat at a local restaurant in Bedford and literally we were stared at the entire time. Like people were staring at us eating their food. It was quite uncomfortable, but we were like, okay, we're, we're going to be fine. We stuck it out. Um, you know, we were safe, but it's just an uncomfortableness that um, I had almost forgotten about. What a stark reminder. <laughs> and so 
And so you step into the process and um, what, what was that like for you to go from asking for a raise to embracing the deep soulful work of the, of the Hoffman process? It was scarier than hell going in, if I'm honest. Um, I often tell people this story. I had quit smoking cigarettes for about two years before I did the process. And my drive to the process that Saturday morning, I stopped and bought a pack of cigarettes. I was an emotional wreck. Um, I had all this stuff that got stirred up um, in the preparation work. But, you know, it was scary. But it, when I left and when I came out the other side, I was so full of gratitude. I remember seeing my CEO that Monday morning. We met for breakfast. And I was just weeping um, because I had so much gratitude for, for him to even think about offering this to me and to, to put it in front of me, something I probably never would have met otherwise. Mm. I'm picturing you guys sitting down. Is that a thing he regularly does is offer the process? I imagined he paid for it. He did. Um, I was the first employee of the organization that went through. And then I actually sent all of my managers after I only had three at the time. So I sent them. Um, and as an organization, we used that shared language um, to really, break through some barriers that were holding us back from being as successful as we could be. Um, it's an interesting idea, right? Taking this deep personal journey, but also integrating it into the professional environment. What was that like to have something be associated with work and your paycheck but also have it be so deeply personal. How did you guys bridge that gap? Well, it was a learning curve for sure. Um, we we were just open and honest. Um, we, we put our we would did a lot of hand on hearts um, working. I was in the hospitality industry for twenty years, so working in the hospitality industry, it's very easy to switch into reactive mode. Um, and the tools and the work, the Hoffman process, really teaches about least taught me how to be responding versus reacting to life. Mm -hmm. So have, being able to do that as a leader uh, made me a better leader. Um, having my team be able to do that when they're communicating with customers or me improved their communication. So overall, I think it just helped improve the business. Um, and it was a little, it actually felt like the business was worth more in a sense. Um, like I felt like all of me was actually at work, not just part of me. So I felt like I was more successful bringing all of That's myself in. That's that's great. And, you know, I was thinking about, as you describe on your way to the processing and smoking a pack <laughs> of cigarettes and it's stirring up a bunch of stuff, it's, it's often that um, we have to allow things to get worse before they get better. And it sounds like for you that uh, unraveling a bit was the precursor to sort of putting it back together in a new way. Yeah, I had to let all that stuff, all that hurt, all that darkness out of me. So the light in me really had space to expand. Hmm. And, you know, when I uh, came home from the process, they the teachers told us, now don't go home and, and, and force your partner to go or <laughs> anything like that. Just embody and let them see your light, and that will be, and I said at the process, that is fantastic. And then I walked in the door and said, you're going. <laughs> I did the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I look back and think, oh, why did I do that? But fortunately, uh, well, how did Perry receive it? 
Um, at first, he wasn't. The approach wasn't appropriate, I should say. Um, but it, after about three months, he ended up doing the process on his own regard. Uh, and he told me afterwards, mostly it was because of what he saw in me and what he saw shift. So it was good to hear that. Yeah, that's kind of what happened in my marriage as well. Is, uh, I said that, and my wife said, "Oh, okay." And then <laughs> she decided on her own, um, despite what I said, and and then referenced that. I felt different and therefore that's what she wanted more of. It's old patterns coming up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, so there you are now in Hawaii and you're, you're pursuing a master's in religion. Talk, why religion? Talk a little bit about that Perry. Uh, I'm thinking of you and and Perry. (laughs) It's okay. Jason, talk a little bit about that, Jason. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, path that got me here, Drew. I um, After 20 years in the hospitality industry, I, I realized my passion wasn't there. It wasn't what my heart wanted. Um, and because of the process and the tools and the growth that I had, had, I was able to have the courage to step away from that in January of 2017. So at that point, I stepped away from that and started pursuing an undergraduate degree in psychology, which I just wrapped up at John F. Kennedy University um, this year. And then um, in that work, I really realized for me how important spirit was in my life and how much spirit had helped me grow and hold me in that time. And um, there's a lot of spirit in religion. Um, So it's a fascinating topic for me. And uh, I think that we're all bodies of energy, bodies of light. And there's a lot of research that I want to do in energy medicines that a lot of indigenous religions have used. Um, so I hope to study that and help bring that to more of an awareness in our culture. The wisdom traditions of in, indigenous cultures, they they seem to know something that sometimes it feels like we've forgotten in this modern world, huh? Yeah, it's powerful. It's all around them. Is there a, have you, have you had experiences with indigenous cultures that have, led you to believe that or why, why, how did you come to, let me ask this question, Jason, how did a guy from a small town in Pennsylvania get so deep and soulful around a fairly uh, alternative connection to his spirit? Yeah. You're asking that question and my eyes are welling up with water, Drew. It's interesting. Um mm. When I did the process, part of me opened up that I didn't know existed. I had an intuition and I had a connection to spirit that I wasn't able to feel or see. Um, so in reawakening that connection, I, um, my heart has been guiding me with it. I don't doubt it. I don't think about it. I just trust it. Um, and I look back at my life at all the situations, both good and bad, that I've been through. And there had to be something greater than myself helping me through them. Um, there's no doubt in my mind that there's a spirit. I, I have done work with a shaman uh, in California. I did some personal work with her that helped me heal some wounds and get an understanding of her practices. But um, I haven't had a lot of immersive experiences in indigenous religions or cultures. So I look forward to that here in Hawaii. I'll have the opportunity to have some of that within the Hawaiian culture. You know, it's, um, it's really interesting as you talk, I'm, and and I think maybe part of it comes from being in the field uh, and working with people. Um, I, I 
I'm struck by the vulnerability of allowing yourself to be um, loved, to be influenced, to be led by something, to be loved by something outside of yourself. That's not an that's not an easy thing to open up to. It is that your experience? What's your take on that? <clears throat> yeah, it takes a lot of trust and a lot of faith. Um, and it doesn't always work out the way you want it to either, you know, and you have to just accept that for that's the way it's supposed to be. Um, is there a time in your life where you were out in nature or you were feeling that deep connection to the larger, as you said, there's got to be something larger than me. How do you know that? When did you know that? I would say I realized that the first time was at the process, to be honest. Um, just because, like I said, I rewoke that part. Um, and it hits me at different points. Um, you know, a good example is I was, I remember driving home one day and I listened to music and sing like most people in the car. And uh, <laughs> there's a song by Rascal Flats called God Bless This Broken Road. And it talks about all of the pain that we go through and how it brings us to, it gets us through because we're blessed. Right. And at first I was thinking about my husband and how the love that we share has really helped carry me. And then I thought about, Oh, it's myself. I love myself because of all the things that I've held myself through. And then I started sobbing because I realized it was spirit that I loved because spirit is what's carried me through. So these, these realizations, they come when I'm not thinking about it. They just come into my mind and I feel like they come from my heart. So I just trust them. Students have asked me in the past, how does, what is the language of spirit? How does spirit talk? And it sounds like for you, it was a very kind of felt sense in that car. I love the progression of loving your husband. Then, no, wait, I love myself. No, wait, I love spirit. I love them all. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. What's it like to talk about this stuff in the jungle in Hawaii? It's really powerful, Drew. Um, it's both emotional and uplifting. Because um, I'm, I'm reflecting as I'm talking to you about the last four years, five years of my life. And it, it's beyond my wildest dreams, even though we're, we're living on friend's property in a trailer right now as a temporary step at where we're going. It's just, I feel so grateful and full of love. Um, so it's, to me, sitting back reflecting on it, it's really powerful. And as you think about your family of origin, how has the, uh, for example, post-process, how has that experience been for you? You know, it's been, it hasn't been perfect. Um, and it's been a road that's caused me to grow. Uh, my mother just passed this January. Um, mm -hmm. And three years after I did my process and it was the first two years afterwards where I had, you know, it's a process. They tell you to go play your mother and father. You love them at a certain point after the week. And, um, so I flew home the first time met both my mother and my father individually told them that I loved them told them I was sorry for my part in things and just wanted to know that. And, um, my mother received it and, you know, but it wasn't, it didn't go deep. It was like, okay, thank you. I love you too. But it was still, still a lot of old wounds that needed to heal, right? My father, uh, unfortunately, 
didn't receive it well, and we still are, are broken in our relationship. But I love him, and I hold him in the light. Um, my mother is that, is that because he isn't embracing of Perry and your marriage? Yeah, he he is an evangelistic, and he has um, pretty strong beliefs about his religion, and he does not accept um, who I am as a human being. So. For him, it's more painful to be around me than to be away from me, I feel. And, you know, he loves me, and I know that. I do know that. And he has a lot of his own pain that he hasn't figured out how to heal from. So I hope someday he can, because I look forward to hugging him. Um, But I'm okay with whatever he decides. Jeez, Jason, that takes lots of courage to see in the midst of your pain to be able to step out of that and um, step out of the cost and the impact on you, which sounds like it's been in, in, in part a, a large aspect of your life and to step away from that and instead to see his pain and his trauma and his wounding. Yeah, it's, um, it's easy for me to have compassion for him when I take that into account. Because hmm. he doesn't, he hasn't had the tools or the opportunities. He's not in a community or culture where self-transformation and self-work is really a thing. Um, you know, so unfortunately he lives in his box and that's where he's comfortable. I remember recently when your mom passed, did did your work at the process support the grieving and the letting go and the navigating that loss? Oh, Drew, it, I, I don't think I would be, I don't think I'd be okay today if I hadn't done the process with my mom passing, honestly. Um, like I said, I went home initially to tell her that, but it wasn't until March of last year when we went home to see her and I spent five days by her bedside um, that we finally dove in deep and healed those deep wounds um, and connected on a spiritual and emotional level um, like we ever had. Um, when she passed, we had the most beautiful relationship. Um, sorry, it's a little emotional for me to talk about. Um, but it was really beautiful yeah. because of the process. You know, um, Jason, I just, I just have to say this because I'm thinking about um, you there sharing and um, and and talking and tearing, and it was just reminded me of my childhood because when my dad, my, when my grandfather would tear up, he would stop talking, and 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 I would always think as a kid, wait a minute, you're getting to the best part, and I'm just grateful that you are able to allow the tears to flow and to keep talking and sharing. Well, did you want to say more? Um, just the, the whole thing with my mother. Um, oh yeah. Go. Was really the, the, the tools that I learned in the process. Cause my mother was an alcoholic and she died of alcoholism. She was drinking up to the end. And um, part of what healed our relationship finally was me letting go and accepting her choices. Um, so that's something I definitely would not have been able to do without the tools I picked up in the process. Hmm. Yeah, so how long is your graduate program in religion? 
So my program's two years here at University of Hawaii, and Perry is also doing a graduate program that's two years there as well. So we'll be here for sure for two years. And then in in terms of professionally, what do you imagine that, you know, in in, in three, four, five years, where are you? What are you doing? What's the nature of what your work looks like? Well, Drew, I'm a certified NLP coach. Um, I am an intuitive healer as well. I do energy work. Um, and what my purpose in this life is, I, I really feel like I've connected to, is helping people find God and helping people find spirit in a way that resonates with them, um, helping people break through the barriers that prevent them from loving themselves through spirit. Um, so I see myself working with people in that sense, uh, continuing to help people heal the wounds that they carry. Um, and the traumas that they have to process. You know, um, part of part of the journey, as I sort of see it, is, and I'm I'm inspired by Richard Rohr lately, who um, is a Franciscan. Anyway, he was raised Catholic, and he's a spiritual leader and author. One of the things he's been talking about lately is the need for purpose and so much of what we do in the process is connecting to our spirit and our essence. And it, it seems like the next step post process is to um, have a sense of purpose where the focus isn't so much on yourself. And as Richard Rohr says, your life is actually not about you. And when I hear you share that, Jason, it's like, you are fully committed to helping others. When I experienced love for what I consider the very first time in my life in January of 2017, I knew in that moment my work was to help other people learn how to feel love themselves, whether that be through spiritual work, whatever work it was, but help people find that. That's exciting. And, and do you and Perry... Align on that? Is that part of your shared journey and, and connection in your marriage? It is. Um, we both feel that our purpose is to collectively, you know, create a space um, that will help people find that part of themselves. And have you have you started your program yet? Um, not officially. I start in August. I'm scheduling courses this week and speaking with my program chair, but it's all... It's all taking hold. You know, um, so much of what people often say when it comes to the religion aspect of their lives, I've heard people say, you know, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. Um, and and so here you are connecting with spirit and having such a deep understanding and, and yet going to get your master's in religion. Do you imagine there'll be much dogma associated with <laughs> graduate programs there? Um, interestingly enough, there is, it's not, a. it's not specific, specific to one though. So the reason I love this program is it's not so much about learning the religion. It's about learning this. Like you said earlier, the indigenous cultures have a lot of secrets per se, or a lot of knowledge. And it's understanding how religion has changed our relationship with spirit is my, my objective. Understanding how religion can sometimes include human wisdom versus spiritual knowledge and kind of convolute or distract us. Um, so I'm excited to understand that more deeply on a level where I can use that to help people. Wow. 
That's powerful. I, I just have to say that um, I was thinking about the Marianne Williamson quote about uh, living into your light gives, it uh, doesn't make other people feel small. Your playing small doesn't serve the world. You, When you actually step into your light, you give other people permission to do the same. And I, I feel that so deeply from you and Perry because you guys embrace those aspects of yourself. And I've always felt more alive and welcomed and embraced in my own uh, essence when I'm around the two of you, whether you're together or not. Yeah. It's an, I look at it, you know, you kind of made a reference to it, not directly, but it's like being a beacon of light, you know, and if I'm my best self, if I'm standing in my light, I'm connected to my heart, then I want that to radiate out. It's not about what I'm getting. It's about what I can give. Some might see that as selfless. And what would be your response to that? I would think it's more my responsibility. Um, it's not selfless because I have to take care of myself first. If I don't do self-care, then I'm no good to anybody, you know? So it's a, it's a whole package deal. Yeah. How are you feeling now? Feel good. It was, um, it was little, some emotions came up talking about my mom, um, but it was powerful. Um, I'm really grateful to have the opportunity to get to share this time with you this morning. Yeah. The only thing I'll say is good's not a feeling. (laughs) I feel happy, grateful, um, and excited. Awesome. Jason, I love you, brother. Love you too, Drew. Really appreciate the time. Yeah, great to talk to you. And I look forward to hearing uh, next steps for you guys. Definitely keep you posted, man. All right. listening to our podcast. My name is Liza Ingrassi. I'm the CEO and president of Hoffman Institute Foundation. And I'm Raz Ingrassi, Hoffman teacher and founder of the Hoffman Institute Foundation. Our mission is to provide people greater access to the wisdom and power of love. In themselves, in each other, and in the world. To find out more, please go to hoffmaninstitute.org.